Hi, welcome to All the Sense in the World. I'm Joy Berta, and I am so honored to have Tara Bench, also known as Tara Teaspoon, yeah. <laughs> uh, with us today. And, uh, you know, as you all know, we're talking about the senses, and and to me, food is one of those senses you just, yeah, taste. You want to you wanna always indulge yourself, and, and I want to know more about ways that we're going to be able to awaken our senses, ways that we'll be able to just experience taste. And Tara is a chef. She's been a food editor. She's had so much experience doing, and I'll, I'll introduce her as well through a, a bio. I'm going to do an intro for you. You guys will have heard about that and know more about her background. But I wanted to first, well, Tara, hi. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, she's in New York City right now. <laughs> and uh, we met in New York. This is interesting. And I have to bring this up because when I met her, she and I were volunteering, working with some youth. And I remember I'd hear about Tara Bent. She's working for Martha Stewart Living. She's an editor. And, and I, I thought that was so cool. We're preparing a meal up at this these cabins in upstate New York, and we were in the cafeteria, I guess, in these cabins, and and out she she brings her her spread of knives. <laughs> I'm like, these have got to be worth thousands of dollars. But like like tools, right? I had to I had to work. I know, and I was so impressed. I was so impressed, and <laughs> I immediately understood. Oh, this is like another get, you know, another level, another. <laughs> insight into the world of a chef. Uh, I had never really been around professional chefs. So <laughs> that's a great memory. That's a great yeah, one. We were really excited to have Tara there helping the food. <laughs> so, right, exactly. Yeah. I don't think we were all, yeah, stuck with foiled dinners and that's the typ <laughs> typical camping food, but no, yeah, we, we pulled out all the stops. <laughs> I know. No, we're, we're so fortunate. So, um, no, but Tara, so when I met you here, you were a food editor and I'm, I'm curious uh, a little bit of your background and then how you got into, you know, working through with magazines, um, because that's to me, you know, working for a magazine, I guess you're still using your creative juices, but, but you're not like now, now it's a different story. I feel like you're really digging into your being able to utilize those creative juices. So how did you get from the beginnings, humble beginnings to food editing. So what I'm doing now, so I always had an interest in food. I grew up cooking with my mom by her side and, and loved it. And so when it came time to figure out what to study in college and what to pursue, you know, I had studied architecture in high school and thought I'll be an architect. I don't, I mean, it just, it was a passion at that time. And then I looked at college and I really thought, you know, what drives me, what do I enjoy doing? And it was, it was cooking and food. And my parents were really instrumental in guiding me to my interests. And so my father, who is an accountant and a CFO, he said, study something that you want to do in the future, because what you study and your job is what you'll be doing for many, many years. And so you want to enjoy it. And so that's what landed me in food. And I started studying food science and realized it was too much chemistry. It wasn't cooking. It was chemistry. <laughs> Sounded right? fancy though. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. It was food, something food. Halfway through college, I ended up transferring schools and going to Utah State University that 
and they had a culinary arts food service management program because I didn't want to just go to a culinary school. I wanted a college degree. And so this um, offered me that culinary training as well as I minored in journalism and had was able to get my degree and do a formal internship. So when it came time for that formal internship, all of my classmates were going to big restaurants in Las Vegas or catering companies and having these experiences in food service. And I didn't want to do that. I didn't, I loved cooking and I loved my culinary training and I didn't want to do food service. So I found my own path. Long story short, I, I had to find it on my own. My professors and chef teachers didn't know what other options were out there. And so I came to one of my professors and I said, who makes the food in this magazine? It was probably like a food and wine magazine. I said, who makes this food? I want to make that food. She's like, I don't know. I mean, I said, but somebody's got to make the food in this picture. Like (laughs) who made the food for this picture? Nobody knew what food stylists were or let alone the path to get to being a food editor at a magazine. And so I sort of had to research that out. It was really interesting. Yeah. Um, I called almost every food magazine in the country and said, can I come and work in your test kitchen and do an internship? And every magazine was like, well, we already have our interns or no, we don't take interns or something like that. So I got turned down in a lot of places. And the only place that had sort of an opening was Martha Stewart. And the test kitchen director at Martha Stewart said over the phone, well, we usually get our interns from the CIA, the Culinary Institute of America, you know, a big high-end culinary school. And she said, but you can come out and interview. And so that was my in to a food magazine, to, you know, publishing. That's huge. I was led to it. That was a unique opportunity. I came out to New York and cooked for the test kitchen director and interviewed and didn't do a great job. But you know what? I was lucky is she saw my passion and she saw my drive and took a chance on me. And so that's how I started at Martha Stewart magazine. I was an intern and then they ended up hiring me after that. Wow. So were you just about to finish school or you had finished school? So I did my internship after graduation Okay. because I had switched schools in between my education. It kind of fell that way, but typically I would have done my internship during junior year and that would have been a different story, right? I love the story you've shared so far. And I, so there are a few points as as you were talking, I I wanted to um, bring up. So, you know, I, I do find it very interesting that you knew that you knew early on and, and you were inspired also by your parents, but to find something that you would enjoy, I'm telling you, I, I, I don't know how often people actually discover their career path by, you know, actually questioning themselves. Will I find joy in this? You know, will this, will this be something I'll, I'll actually love? And I know there are a lot of young folk out there who are, are lost. They maybe can't even find that joy or what that what is that thing I was kind of one of those people myself so I can relate to that because I knew I liked to sing and I liked to dance but I knew that wasn't a career for me so what would I do how do you dig deeply into yourself in order to find that I I mean it feels like maybe it was a little more natural for you but have you seen this in other circumstances yeah that's a great point is I think it ebbs and flows so 
at the beginning, I was a young, fresh out of college student, a young person. And there's a mix, right, of passion and drive and excitement. But I think it ebbs and flows because at some point that becomes, oh, I need to support myself, that I need to figure out a job that pays me a, a wage that I can live off of. And I think everybody ex- sort of experiences a little of that. Like you said, you had these passions, but realize the reality of sustaining yourself on that. And so to find something related that you can still be passionate about and have something as sort of a hobby or a passion. As much as my parents encouraged me at that time, they saw me going into the world of food and then they sort of backtracked, right? I remember (laughs) having sit downs with them and, and they kind of were like, um, you know, I don't know if you can get a really good salary in, in this type of business and how are you going to sustain yourself? And so they didn't know either, but I didn't, I just knew I was learning. I was experiencing new things and my world was opening up. When you're young, you can sort of say, okay, I have a lot of paths to choose from and make some educated decisions on that. And I think I had lots of people helping me, but it, it ebbed and flowed, right? I, I think there was that drive and that excitement, but you have to be responsible and, and think about the future. And luckily I landed in publishing, which gave me an opportunity to go several different directions, which was, yeah. which was nice. And, and still doing what you love and being surrounded by food. That's exciting. And another thing is, so not just with the finding passion, I, I was touched when you were talking about finding that certain, these particular, I guess, professors that you were studying with didn't really know this other field of food. Yeah. I had no idea, which I think is wonderful that you bring up because I don't think as a student, we often would maybe just, we put a lot of trust in our leaders, our teachers, our, and it was great that you were able to say, wait a minute, there's got to be another way as opposed to just going the same path that the other students did. Or, and it's like, well, the teachers could easily have promoted you into another field that you would have ended up maybe not being happy in. <laughs> so or not excelled in or not. Yeah. yeah. My world so you found your way. Like I, I love that. I love that you physically took a magazine what is this? Yeah. <laughs> and, and ask questions. And that, that's another thing, you know, with this podcast, I love the idea of people finding, and I want to in, help encourage people to start asking more questions. Like, well, if this, if, why is it this way? I, I'd rather it be this way. Like, okay, well find that way. It doesn't have to be the, the direct path that everyone else is going. And I, I love that you are the example of, of finding a different way and yeah, kind of challenging leadership in a way. You well, did. sure, and, and opening their eyes, right? And I think this goes for any field is if you have a passion or curiosity, go with it. In engineering or design, like who creates the design for this product that I love? And where does this come from? And what's the start of this process to create something or a business? It can be in business or design or create you know, something creative or analytical where there are so many more professions and opportunities than we are exposed to. Oh, yeah, that's a really, really good point. So how do we find those other yeah. professions? I know like for you, you, 
you looked at a magazine and said, someone's doing something in this magazine. I don't know what it is. Maybe being more observant. I don't know if you have any other thoughts about that. I have people come to me quite a bit, students still many years later that come and say, hey, I either want to do what you do or how did you get into this? This exact conversation, the walking away from this conversation, seeing what possibilities there are, they can then go into their avenues. I just had a conversation with a gal that was going into dietetics, but she knew that there was something beyond what she wanted to do. So we had a very long conversation. And when I followed up with her, she was like, thank you for that conversation. I was able to explore and find someone in this industry that I could talk to about different opportunities. It's really, it's exploring, it's talking to people. It's talking to you about your path seeing that there are other opinions, other sides, other variations of things that they might be interested in. Thank you. And I, I love the openness. And I think maybe, as you're saying, definitely people need to be more inquisitive and, and not hold back, right? You're willing to share your knowledge, which is wonderful. So, I mean, here you're on a podcast. I know you have an extremely busy schedule. No, really an amazing schedule filled with fantastic guest, <laughs> guest performances yeah, no make really it, make it no. sound good no you are no you are amazing and i know and i love that you're willing to share it's one of those things when i see people that are excelling in their field willing to help the people who aren't there yet i know it's not always easy but it's so important it is it really is and I think all of us have opportunities for mentorship all the time. And it's just taking that moment, taking that time, if you have it, to help others find their way. That's wonderful. So, I mean, it sounds like you've had to be pretty brave throughout your life. <laughs> when have there been moments, though, when you've kind of had to say enough or bravery isn't everything, right? Right. And, and you think, I often thought, oh, I'm in this comfortable position. I've gotten to where I want to be. I'm at the top of where I want to be. And then there's always that other cliff that you have to jump off of or have that confidence, <laughs> right? So that happened to me, I, I think it was almost six years into working at Martha Stewart. There were major changes at the company and my bosses were shifted around and my job was shifted around. And I realized that I had hit a ceiling at that job. You know, there was nothing else to sort of work towards or move into. I had learned a lot. I'd had so many experiences, but I was so comfortable. So I spent another six or nine months working there in a very miserable situation and not growing and not expanding myself and my, my world. And it was, it was a kick in the pants, right? Because it got so hard and so miserable every day at work. And Even I though it was comfortable. If that yeah. sounds right. You're like, yeah. I'm doing, I'm doing the same, but I'm miserable and it's hard. Yeah, but I didn't know what was on the other side of that cliff or that door, right? So it took being very miserable to say, I'm out. I need to make a change and I don't know what that change is. And I think a lot of people have that throughout different careers is it was nice to be able to step away. And it took me several months after quitting that job to say, okay, what's my direction? And because of my experience, I fell into consulting work and food styling and freelance work very quickly and found a rhythm there. And it was great. And then lo and behold, a couple of years later, Ladies Home Journal magazine came to me and I had a new opportunity and I had to step out of my comfort zone again 
and say, am I going to take this opportunity to work at another magazine with another team? And it's always scary. It's always a big risk to take those steps. But that led me to my next job, being the food director at Ladies Home Journal. And I loved it. It was a great job. Just those steps, right? Joy, that that are scary and intrepid, but lead to, to better things. So what made this particular job, Ladies Home Journal, different than Martha Stewart? It was a different time. It was, you know, many years later in the progression of publishing and magazines. And it was different. Ladies Home Journal was much more of a women's service magazine with lots of different facets, a very different staff, a different publishing company that owned it. So the feel was very different. The camaraderie was very different. And the work was a little bit more creative. Like I could dictate, hey, what are what's going to be in the pages of this magazine? Yeah. You could own it a, a whole lot more. Okay, that's well. That that actually just answers my question. No, when you're nice. when you're free to be and 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 create, that's that's home, right? It is. It is. And it's a different audience. As free as I was, I was still speaking to a specific group of people. And at Martha Stewart, you're speaking to a specific group of people. It was it was just a different feel. I was able to use a lot of what I had learned throughout my early career and put it into practice there. And you know, one of the things that I don't often talk about is I learned what kind of boss and manager I did not want to be. And I was able to put that into practice when I was the boss and the manager at my next job. I had great mentors and people that I learned from at Martha Stewart magazine, but there were also some strong personalities that I did not want to emulate. And so I was able to then take that and be a successful manager and boss to the people working working with me. So let me ask you this, what is a successful, you know, mentor or boss? And when I say successful, I mean, in your terms, how you're, you're comparing how you could have been, but how you became because you were able to recreate your own type of boss. What do you think would be a good leader? Right? So I'm curious, what is that? That's a good question. And I'm still learning. I'm still changing, right? Give me me a taste because I'm sure it's. Yeah. So I think a lot of it was realizing no one's perfect. We're all doing a job and there's a lot of learning that goes into everything. So I was so happy to have the opportunity to be a teacher. So any, any task that I was giving my subordinates, I would check in with them and say, Hey, do you feel comfortable with this? Do you know how to do it? Would you like me to show you? And I, I didn't necessarily get that. I I was able to watch and observe but I was never given that invitation to say, hey, do you want to learn this? And so I tried to do that. And then the other thing is positive reinforcement. It's a basic, like <laughs> instead of putting someone down saying, hey, you did great at that, but let's work on this. Or, hey, I can see that you have potential here. Let's explore some other ways that you can improve here. So it's just that positive feedback that is encouraging rather than disparaging. Yeah. And I, and I will say from what I've experienced having different managers or being a leader, I have noticed you definitely get more work, more and better work from your employees or, or your colleagues when you're bringing them a positive, like you said, positive reinforcement, but also allowing them to kind of just trust themselves, right? discover their own abilities to create. Well, yeah. when we worked with these youth in New York, 
that was my first experience kind of saying, you know what, don't ever doubt someone's ability, give them a chance, Mm -hmm. give them a chance to, yeah, they might make a mistake. Cause I remember sometimes I'd hear this, well, what, what if they don't follow through then (laughs) I'm like, well, then we learn, we all learn, they learn (laughs) their accountability is important. So how else will you learn it? If you don't give people a a shot? Yes. And to explore their own, like, Oh, I, I dropped that responsibility. I better (laughs) pick it up next time. Right. (laughs) But also I love what you said, like giving them that, that experience, that benefit of the doubt too, is I would hire people that were better at things than I was. I think that's a huge, awesome. And then letting them know, (laughs) I'm not an expert in this. That's where you're an expert. So feel free to teach me, but you excel at this, go with it. And then how much better was the work you were doing collaboratively, right? Because you've got, well, it's just like, I mean, I'm not, I'll I'll give this as an example. So my husband, he has his strengths. I have my strengths. He has his weaknesses. I have my weaknesses. It's it's the same thing in a partnership in any, you, you cannot marry your equal in everything, or you cannot hire someone who's just as good at you with your, or the things you're good at, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It would kind of missed the point of collaboration. Yes. <laughs> and, and half of that is stepping back and realizing, oh, they are, they are good at that. And I'm good at this or vice versa. Cause sometimes we're so oblivious and we're just plowing through things. Right. Right. No, it's, it's so true. Well, and I'm curious in the food industry, you know, I've never worked in the food industry oh, except as a, a waitress. I was a there server. I was a server at a restaurant. No. And I worked the salad bar at Siddler. Okay. So I had to cut fruit all the time. I was very good at cutting fruit, but I feel like there are so many sensitivities to creating food, whether you're, you're creating a, a plate for an image for the magazine, right? What do you call it? I'm sorry. I'm forgetting what it's called. Yeah. Food styling. Food styling. Right. Right. So even that in itself, there's a sensitivity and, and I guess sometimes emotions could probably run kind of high if you're very passionate about the way that pasta looks on the plate. I'm not kidding. Yeah. We're spreadsheets here, right? We're being a lot of my industry is art and creativity and specific passions. It is. And to be honest, when I would hire someone and still do, they go through a cooking test. It's it's an editorial test, but it's also, I'll have them cook for me. And that is where we found our rhythm is if I could relate to their perspective and if they could relate to mine through that art, that creativity and that cooking. And so it is a very different industry in that way. Like we've talked about, there are a lot of senses that go into it, right? Like how somebody sees something, what their taste is, how they work with food, how they work with that medium. So it, yeah, it's a really interesting and different. So let me ask you this. I'm sure you've seen across the board, there are different levels of sensitivity when it comes to not just the people you're working with, the people you, your audience, your, and, and I feel like it's one of those things where as an artist, I'm going to call you an artist because you are, you're a scientist and an artist, but, <laughs> but I mean, you, you have such a varied audience as well with differing levels of sensitivity. So um, where are you with that? Are you trying to enhance people's sensitivities or are you giving them what they will know and love and feel comfortable with? Yes, that is a great question and a constant balance. I think I sort of play around with both aspiration and inspiration. So I want to give people things to aspire to, things to elevate their life, elevate their cooking, their food, their taste. And so 
there is a mix of that aspirational food. Four-tiered cake with frosting piped all over it. Not many people are going to make that, but it's aspiring. It's kind of exciting to look at. And I like you to look at it. And yeah, eat it. I like that, but maybe I'll do a smaller version of it. I'll let Tara do it for me. <laughs> but also a mix of inspiring. That can be a new chicken dinner for a Wednesday night. And it doesn't have to be anything spectacular or crazy. It can just be maybe a new way to put some flavors together that my reader already has in their pantry. And so that's inspiring and that's doable and accessible. So there is definitely a mix with what I do. And I like that. I like you'll pick up a specific magazine, Bon Appetit or Food and Wine. And those things are mostly aspiring. They're a little more, they're harder to cook. They're going to take a little bit more time. And then you'll pick up a Better Homes and Gardens or a Good Housekeeping magazine. And those recipes are like, hey, I'm inspired by that and it's accessible. So you can see the difference there just by sort of observing the differences between what is out there. And honestly, I kind of like doing a little of both in my business and my brand. And it allows me to connect with people in in different ways. So if someone's coming to Tara Teaspoon's website, they they will know that they can find either or both. I mean, I've looked through your website and it's amazing because I, yeah. And don't, don't look at it when you're hungry. Yes, exactly. (laughs) You want everything. No, really. I was like, Ooh, I thought I was hungry for like food, food. Then I would see the desserts and I'm like, no, no, no. I just (laughs) skip to the dessert. Let's talk about this because I, I, I love how you, well, first the aspiration and inspiration. I think it's okay even sometimes to combine both, right? Because for me, I'm one of those sometimes use a recipe people, but I wouldn't mind hearing, you know, different ways to make my chicken. Like, mm-hmm. oh, I hadn't thought of using, I don't know, a different kind of poblano chili or something, I don't know, some different kind of yeah. something or the way you cook it. Right. Because mm-hmm. that's another thing. I don't think people realize it's not always what you put in it, but it's how you're doing it. Right. The, are you grilling it? Are you roasting it? Are you putting it in the slow cooker? Yeah. And, and I'm sure we all get in ruts and it's very easy. So yeah, I'm, I know for me, I'm looking for some aspiration that will, that will give me some sort of hope, <laughs> but maybe, yeah. And, and I think it's good to, yeah, look for things that are different and unique to what you're normally doing. So yeah, looking at different websites uh, for cooking and magazines. I do, I have some magazines I get on occasion. Or cookbooks. Um, yeah. Cookbooks. Yeah. Your cookbook, she has a cookbook, guys. Yeah. And, um, but also, if I go to restaurants, that helps me too. Yes. I, and then there are some restaurants that don't, that don't inspire or, or aspire, but we won't mention those right now. Sometimes you just need that mindless eating, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. No, it's true. I will say, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for maybe different ways. And I guess if there were a way to categorize that, you know, at the aspiration and inspiration, I, I think even within my own, our website, sentience.com, I think that would be something really helpful when you're trying to help people understand the levels of the senses, right? The level of, of taste. So I don't have to be a connoisseur of every herb in order to really understand how to enjoy, first of all, how to enjoy food, how to make food make food too. But I think, yeah, that'd be an interesting approach for people, the understanding the aspiration as opposed to inspiration. So I I appreciate you mentioning that. Yeah. And there's, there's also that when we deal with food, we also hear that that sense of hearing is uniquely important when we eat. And when we go out to restaurants, 
So think about it. Like, tell me, yeah, we know that pigs in a blanket are kind of tasty. Like we know what pigs in a blanket are hot dogs wrapped in bread or pastry or pretzel, whatever it is, but pigs in a blanket doesn't sound all that fabulous, you know, to our ear, but our brain already knows it tastes good. But what about when you hear something like honey grilled peaches with Christini and burrata, you suddenly hear the difference. I tasted it even more so. Right. The the layers. Yeah. So, so cooking food and creating recipes and reading cookbooks and magazines that plays into it too. The title, the description, what it sounds like. Isn't that funny? Because we look at pictures and we think that looks good. Yeah. But we also can hear it. The word. Mm-hmm. So the word, I mean, like you said, the words, right? The words yeah. you're using. Um, I, I ended up getting a few books on writing about food. Yeah. And I, I mean, this is, this has been your industry, but I, I hadn't realized until I saw actually Anthony Bourdain, when I would watch his, um, his shows, love him, um, <laughs> rest in peace, right? Yeah. Uh, but I was so inspired by the, the movement he would take me through of not just, not just like, you know, meeting the people, a new journey, a new place, that experience, but also the way he would describe the food, the way he would talk about this emotional impact it has on, on him or, or on the people, why they're eating this food, you know, these traditions that, that are so, so much more profound than we realize. For him, he, yeah, he opened up this new world for me as a, as a, as a human understanding food and its power. So you mentioning even just these, the way you just described the Christina, I'm like, Oh my gosh. It's like, <laughs> can I be, can I listen to those words? Hold on. Right. No, pluck my ears. I could have said peach and cheese bread, peach and cheese <laughs> and toast, right. <laughs> but that didn't describe it very well. And that's what Anthony Bourdain did so well. And, you know, I loved that he brought in the, the culture and the history, because we get so attached to, we all have food memories, good or bad, right? We all, and, and a lot of them go back to gatherings or family or eating with people or eating food that someone made us, that made us feel a certain way. And he brought a lot of that into that culture of food and eating. And I love that. Yeah. And I think if people were able to understand that more or be more exposed to that there, there would be a different view on food. So if, if you don't mind, I actually do want to talk about this because I, I feel like food is a, is a foe to many as opposed to a friend. <laughs> and it, it's, it's sad to me because I, I mean, I've had my own battles with, with food, but it was like, once I, once I traveled abroad to Italy for the first time, I remembered seeing the way they ate, the way they approached food was very different. And also just the food I was able to, to partake of. And I'm like, well, where's the big platter for dinner of pasta? You know, it's like, that's not how we do it. (laughs) And it was nice because I was like, oh, is this, is this how I, I'm going to be able to eat if I think of food more as a friend, right? Or as a, as a something, it's like a, just as something special in my life, as opposed to, I must eat to survive. Right. And what chemicals am I putting in my body? Right. I, you're, you're absolutely right. And I working in food, I've battled the same thing. We're women, we have physiological bodies. (laughs) 
food affects us. Uh, I mean, it's, it's the chemical reaction that happens in our bodies. And I love sugar. I love desserts, right? <laughs> like same with you. You can't battle that. You can only eat so much of that. And even though you're eating vegetables and fiber and all the healthy things, it's a, it's an actual physical chemical reaction in your body. And so balancing that and saying, okay, I love this. I love gathering. I love cooking. I love eating. And how do I sort of be responsible around that in my life? Is it portion control? Is it eliminating certain things? And people have allergies. You know, I have a brother who is a celiac and uh, can't have gluten. So we have had to change our cooking and the way we eat and the way we gather around food as a family to accommodate that. So a lot of people have, have various reasons to change their diets and things. I have seen that time and time again, all, yeah, all, ar- all around me. So what would be a way for people to maybe approach or see food more as a, as, you know, as a, as a good, as a positive thing, as opposed to, so for example, so if I, if I see one of your amazing desserts and I'm like, oh no, I shouldn't eat that. I can't eat that. Or I'm looking at even, you know, for me, I've, I've noticed, you know, actually I love butter. Yeah. And, right. and I've, and I felt healthier using butter. I, I, it's one of those weird things where I think I grew up thinking fat was very bad for you. And I'm like, we did, we grew up in that generation. Yeah, I'm like, mm-hmm. who said that? I was, I was using, it was so gross. I was using that spray. Can't believe it. Oh, I, know. I can't, even, can't even talk about it. Uh. You know any better. <laughs> and actually I ended up getting really bad skin because of it. Cause I didn't have the vitamins that I needed from fat, right? The, the absorption. And, and so I ended up getting and I know really, and I, and I, I didn't realize that that was actually affecting my body in a negative way. No, but I, I'm, you know, helping people understand that there, there's a, a healthy balance. It's okay to eat some fatty, buttery, delicious, small portion of a, a I don't know, or even that peach or peach cobbler. I don't know. Yeah. You have yeah. a better name for it. Peach cobbler, something, something. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's so true. And I think, I think realizing no diet is right for everyone. Everyone's body and and passions and everything is, is different. So you are going to be on your own journey, but I think part of it is find something. If you are dealing with a change that you need to make and you know, I need to change the way I eat or cook or something, right? We all, we all deal with that at some point, look at it and say, what aspect of this can I find some enjoyment in? Do I, am I a really good planner? Like, do I plan amazing vacations? Move that skill into food and say, well, I'm going to meal plan. So I'm going to approach my eating every week as if it's a planning a vacation, you know, and not, that's not for everyone. I'm not a great meal planner. So what I do is I make sure I'm a great grocery shopper. So when I go to the grocery store, I make sure to buy lots of fresh fruits and veggies and canned goods and meats that I know I can create healthier recipes with, then I have it accessible. And then, but if you're good at planning, do meal planning and plan out those recipes, plan out your grocery list. The other thing is, yeah, elimination is hard. Taking that joy out of eating, you know, like if you go on a diet, it becomes like a joyless event to eat, right? So find ways that you can still and like have joy in your eating and cooking. Maybe it's, I want to bake desserts. I love baking. I love eating desserts. But every time I do, I'm going to invite people over 
so that there's <laughs> nothing left over, or I'm going to find three people that I can take this to. You can still bake, you can still have a portion of it, but look how nice it is that you're eliminating that temptation. You are still enjoying that connection with food and people. And you bringing these up is very helpful. And I think something might click with, you know, one of someone who's yeah. going to listen to this because like what you said about the, you know, find what you're good at or what, what works for you. And, and I will say, you know, there's going to be hit and miss, right? There, there are going to be all, these, uh, these uh, very difficult situations where you thought this, this particular uh, way of preparing your foods or not preparing your foods was going to be work out for you. I know for me, I am, I have to be pretty spontaneous. If I buy a bunch of food at once, I'm not necessarily going to use it. Because the next day I'm like, uh, I'm not even craving that at all. Right. Like, I have to be very spontaneous. I do have a lot of different herbs in my house, a lot, um, a lot of different, even olive oils. Like I love different types of olive oils, balsamic vinegars, balsamic oh, yeah. glazes, whatever it is. It's like, it's like my perfume collection. I need a variety. I need like assortment. I'm not even kidding. Uh -huh. My lipstick collection. It's like, oh, I love lipstick. I love different colors and shades. So I think it's maybe giving people that freedom to say, don't feel like you have to put yourself in a box ever, ever. You don't have to do it like the person next door. Yeah. Right. It's like, but she did this and it worked for her. It's like, eh, yeah, but. maybe not going to work for you. <laughs> right. right. But I, I also love that you're bringing up finding joy and finding pleasure in in the process it should not be torture and you if you're feeling bad about making cookies then don't make them you know it's like don't do it because you feel like you have to or um i mean unless yeah you've been asked to make something and you've agreed to it's like <laughs> yes then make them and give them away sure ways right not everyone loves cooking most of us like eating but i run into people all the time that say i just don't like cooking yeah. And so find ways to make things semi-homemade. You know that term where you, you buy already chopped vegetables and marinated meat and you, you can just come home and stir fry them. You don't need to mix all the sauces together and all of that. You know, there are so many things that are accessible to us now. If you don't have a passion for it, you don't have to push it. I love that. Yeah, you can, you can find other ways to feed your feed your face. Yeah, yeah. I do think food should be or can be a very positive aspect of our lives. I think it, as you had mentioned early, and I love that it can bring on emotions, it can bring on memories. I want to talk about that more because I actually feel like as taste being one of our senses and also the smells of food, things like that, it is extremely powerful it comes to what it invokes within us. Personally, what for you, has a very profound effect of what type of food or experience with food? Yeah, I, I was very different and still am very different in my history and likes and passions for food than a lot of my peers because of where I grew up and because of the type of food in Utah and Arizona, you know, out West very different, and yeah. people on the East coast here that I work with now. And I love that. I love that I can bring that history into my work now, but it was a lot of home cooked meat and potatoes from the farm type of cooking. And then out here, you get the diversity of cultures and Chinese and Thai and Italian all mixed together. And it, it's just different. And so I like that I've been able to bring those things together. But talking about memories, they are so strong. There's a recipe in my cookbook that I put in there. 
It's for whole wheat pancakes. And the way that you make them is you put whole wheat in a blender with some milk and, you know, eggs and everything, and you blend it up and it makes this beautiful batter and you cook these wonderful fluffy pancakes. But my grandmother made those for me when I was little. And so I remember being at grandma's house and waking up to the sound of the wheat mm -hmm. in the blender and the smell. And so that is very, it's a good trigger for me, right? It's very triggering for those memories and emotions. And it's a simple pancake recipe. But if we dug deep and you may be thinking of something right now that mother or grandmother or friend would make for you, or you would eat with them that still to this day brings back those memories. And it's very strong. And I think we can still create those memories with our friends and gathering our family and friends together around food, create those food memories that will last a really long time. I love that. As you were talking about wheat, my mom had a wheat grinder. Right. Le legit. It was huge. It was, oh, uh, cool. so that's what I would hear this big machine. And then would she make bread or what would she do? Mom, love you. She's, <laughs> she couldn't make bread really. No, no, no. You know what we did as kids? It was interesting. My mom had a book and I can't remember. It might've been like a Betty Crocker or some, something, mm -hmm. but it was about quick mixes, like all about mixes as a chore during the week or on the weekend, we would have to make a couple of mixes so that for the next week we'd be able to make so one was called quick mix as opposed to like a bisquick or something. Yep. We would make our own. We'd have that. And then one was like a wheat derived type of mix. And then there were some, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember what the other mixes were. It's fascinating how that's kind of how we survived because we were a family of seven and, yes. and, we, and my dad was working various jobs and struggling in, in also Utah. And it was hard, but my mom needed to feed us. So she figured it out. Yeah. But I don't have positive memories of wheat. <laughs> well, and, and you still have those memories, right? Whether they're good or bad. Right. Those are some strong they, memories around they food, live. right? They live. And our, our, the siblings, we all, you know, kind of like, ah, remember when? <laughs> yeah. The memories are strong. Food is really powerful. That's for sure. And I, I will ask you this. So when it comes to, so being, being raised in, you were raised in Utah, right? Born and raised. So I'm sure... There are also some ethnic stories and cultural things that have followed your family, not just Utah food didn't just come out of nowhere, right? So I'm curious, DNA wise, if you felt a connection with your, your root with food. Yeah, certainly. I think it's a little bit of yes and no. My grandparents were, grew up in Utah, my parents, I did. We lived in Arizona during my high school years. And so we had a little, you know, Mexican and yeah. <laughs> that sort of food flair in, in our, our life. Utah, yes. I mean, I grew up on Jell-O. And when I came to work in New York, I ran into a coworker <laughs> that had never had Jell-O and she was in her 30s. I mean, totally different background. Right, 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 so, right. Yeah. Everyone knows Jell-O. Right, everyone knows Jell-O, but it just, it was, no. that is a very area-centric sort of thing. And as are the burger drive-ins that you would go to and, you know, the fresh peaches and the fresh fruit that is apricots oh my yes, gosh that are central central to that area but now you know I think it's different joy because our world has changed so much everything is much more accessible so we're getting produce and food from all over the world all the time and so 
those, those lines of cultural food are sort of blurring. Um, you know, now growing up, somebody might have homemade Thai food at home all the time in the middle of Utah, because that's what their family likes. And it has nothing to do with where they live because things are so much more accessible, but it played into my work because I took sort of those comfort foods of my culture and my family and brought them into, I still cook that way. I still entertain the way my mother did and the way my grandmother did with, you know, a certain array of foods and menu items. But obviously I've been influenced by a lot. I think we all could look back and say, oh, 20 years ago, our diets and our eating was much different than it is now. And look at it. We've got instant pots and air fryers. You know, we didn't have that when we were young. So our food and cooking does change and it does evolve. How do you see it going forward? I know you're not a clairvoyant or maybe you are a clairvoyant, <laughs> but no, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to see, will it become more sim- simplistic or more complex or will it, honestly, what do you think? Have you thought about it? Absolutely. I mean that, yeah, I, I put trend reports together for clients every year. I I do it for my own business and it is interesting to see the changes and, and the predictions. And it really is it's predictions. It's kind of what food production companies are trying to push at the time or appliance companies. So instant pot was very marketed and very driven in, in selling this specific product and our whole culture is now immersed in that type of appliance cooking because of that. Uh, but it was the same when the food processor came out you know, in, in the early 70s. It was like, well, now you have to have a food processor to make dinner. But you didn't really, right? It right, was that right. push and that trend. But what I see, I think it's a bit of a mix. I think I touched on the fact that so many ingredients are now accessible to us that weren't even five, 10 years ago, specific sauces and flavors and produce that are in our everyday markets that maybe we could not have gotten. And they're coming from all over the world. And so I think our cuisines and our cooking is ever evolving. And I think we'll see more people exploring global flavors in their kitchen in the Midwest or, yeah. or sharing our culture and our food. You know, I went to France and visited some friends of a fam of family there a few years ago. And all they wanted was for me to make chocolate chip cookies for them. Isn't <laughs> that funny? I, I hear yours are amazing. So. <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty darn good. I couldn't necessarily find the right ingredients there. Yeah. They do not yeah. have accessibility to the foods and ingredients that create my traditional foods. And so I think it's evolving. Yeah. Okay. So when you go to France in a few years, you will be able to use and find all of those ingredients. The the soft brown sugar. They don't have brown sugar, you know, like the same brown sugar that we have. Oh, yeah. Did you have to make your own? Yeah. It's a very American thing. So I had to mix regular sugar and molasses. Molasses. But it was also, it's very interesting, but now they're having these cravings of foods from other countries and trying to recreate them in their own countries, as are we in ours. Oh, yeah. No, I I mean, I I definitely see, I was fortunate to live in New York City where it's just a melting pot of everything, (laughs) everything, anything you want. It's like you want some food from Bangladesh or, you know, or India or Nepal or I I know any, any 
country you want. Every continent's covered, I'd say. I will say, I think it, yeah, it depends on where you're living, of course, because I have found that there are different desires of taste. If I'm traveling in the Midwest, or my dad, he lives up in Wisconsin. Yeah. And we've we've gone up there and it's like, yeah, I know I can get amazing cheese there. And they it's like meat and potatoes too, kind of kind of a country area. Not country, but you know what I mean. It feels like, <laughs> it feels like a different country. It feels like the country. I don't see a lot of push for, hey guys, let's open up a couple of Thai restaurants. Yeah. So I'm sure different regions throughout the states. Definitely, some will slowly evolve, but maybe some won't. I don't know what what instigates that other than, for me, I feel like travel. Once you travel to different parts of the world or or you come in contact with other cultures, that's a big deal. Isn't that um, huge? Really I mean, is. we can do, we can watch things on, you know, Netflix programs and, and different types of, you know, programming, but it's different than physically being in that particular country and, and eating the food that they eat. And yes. And you know what that reminds me of is how interesting our entertainment has changed. We're watching food cooking shows. So now. Many. And I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And our kids are watching cooking shows. I have a friend who their nine-year-old is passionate about the great British Bake Off. We didn't have that when we were young. It wasn't entertainment. Oh, and yeah. so now this nine-year-old is saying, I want to make eclairs next weekend. And it's like, um, okay, I don't even know how to make it clear. I, I think it's exciting yeah. that it's not just Legos and cartoons. It's kids are getting passionate about food and different cultures and different tastes and exploring their creativity that way. So I, I guess get, making sure we give the, the kids access or these people access who are curious. I do love that. You're right. I mean, more exposures, definitely taking place. My daughter too has been addicted to a variety of cooking shows and my kitchen's shown and proven that <laughs> many a time. I know I'm like, she's made t- two different uh, versions of lemon bar. I'm like, oh, great. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> why, why not? It is an exciting time. I wanted to ask you though, are there, or is there one particular thing that you would consider a guilty pleasure when it comes to food? Guilty pleasure. And I'm not meaning like, oh, I feel bad I'm eating this, but kind of like a, oh, I'm eating, I'm eating this. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I, maybe your chocolate chip cookies, man, I've got to try those out. I know chocolate chip cookies aren't my guilty pleasure. They're like a staple in my life. Okay. (laughs) It's your breakfast, lunch, and dinner. I think, I mean, it's typical, right? It's usually for people that guilty pleasure sort of resonates with desserts and sweets. And I think probably for me, it's maybe it's ice cream and donuts. Like I don't allow myself to indulge in those very often. Like at the same time? Well, no, not even at the same time. Why not? No. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? Like a a donut ice cream sandwich. But no, those are foods that are like sometimes foods that I really like that sort of feel like that guilty pleasure. For the most part, I love, I love that. And here in the city, like you mentioned, I have the opportunity to diversify my food experiences so much. And I love that. And so I don't often hit on the same thing. Yeah. I, guilty pleasure. I I'm trying like mentally to not have guilt related, you know, yeah. the food, but treats are always, you know, those indulgent treats are kind yeah. of, yeah. We had talked about that earlier. Like I, I don't like the idea of guilty pleasure either. I will say I, I love butter and I find myself wanting to put butter on lots of things and melting it on anything really. And I, I love it. I love butter. Well, I have to tell you in my cookbook, 
you know how everybody does cheese platters and snack boards with cheeses and all of this. Tell me. I did a butter board because I feel the same. I love butter so much. So you will have to butter look. board. I think you'd like it. I mean, what else is better than just like butter on a nice frying baguette? Right. Well, so I, I did all different flavors of butter okay. instead of cheese. You're, you know, this is exactly like this. No, this this gets me excited. <laughs> And I had mentioned it earlier, just the idea of like, there are, there are so many different types of olive oil. There are so many different types of, and I don't drink alcohol at all. So for me, my, uh, you know, I find that I'm, I'm buying all sorts of different types of like sparkling waters, you know, cause there are so many, or, and I, and I feel like there are ways to, you know, indulge in things like butter, different flavors of butter. It's like, who, I don't think people realize that different flavors of olive oil, different flavors of even the jams or like a different confiture, mm -hmm. a raspberry. There are different styles of raspberry jam or jelly, or and it's like, let yourself try these oh, right? the varieties yes. out there. I love that. It's true. Yeah. Explore it. Explore food in a different way than you're used to. Yeah. Yeah. Don't always buy your same smuckers. Reach up a little higher or lower. Oh or yeah. Go to a different store. I, you know, funny That's enough, a good I, point. I like yeah, that. We went to, um, I was visiting my family a few weeks ago and we went to uh, an ethnic market with lots of different kinds of food and we found a passion fruit jelly. I'm, yeah. I'm not finding that in my regular store. So I love that idea. I think, yeah, my uh, Diego and I, my husband, right? He, he and I go on some odd dates sometimes, but sometimes we'll just go hit Whole Foods. Yeah. And we'll just go down the chocolate aisle. And I'm just like, didn't try that one yet. Yep. Oh, the ba bacon and butter. No. <laughs> bacon, butter, chocolate. I'll take it. I like that idea of, yeah, visiting different stores. Of course, you've got your staples, right? And I, your staple type grocery stores and things. Yes. We, we need the survival kit, the standard things, but, mm -hmm. but it is fun to, yeah, to try new ideas, pro approaches to foods, even starting with, a simple ingredient and the, yeah so is there is there a particular ingredient you cannot live without oh good question cheese Jeez. <laughs> i think i think i cheese i love cheese you would die without yeah cheese. yeah and it's it's great on salads it's great on bread it's great melted melt mac and cheese fruit, pasta fruit. fruit yes i mean it's good with anything you make so it's good for breakfast lunch and dinner Right. And the cheese and butter are, aren't they like they're, cousins or they, I think they are. Cause I made or, a butter board instead of a cheese board. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we have a lot more in common than I realized. <laughs> no, that's, that's amazing. I would like to ask you just a few, few questions. One being, is there something in particular you think people could do maybe not on a daily basis, but just to maybe awaken their senses. And when I say that it's, I'm bringing this up because I feel like a lot of us just survive or we go through the day, the typical day we wake up, we have our breakfast or maybe not have our breakfast, run our errands or go yeah. off to work, whatever it is. And we know we need to eat a meal because we feel hungry usually, right? We get a hunger pang and we, we just grab whatever, whatever we can. Is there anything you, you could recommend even in a busy lifestyle with a busy lifestyle to help us be more aware of our senses? Ooh. Of food, I guess that's your specialty, but I think it ties in with other things too, as you were talking about. Yeah, it does. That is, that's a great question. And 
and obviously it, it may be a little different for everyone, but I would probably, I would probably invite listeners to try one new meal or recipe a week. That shouldn't be hard. You should have some sort of down evening or down day, Saturday, Sunday to try something new and put intention behind it. Look, search it out, plan for it and try this new food in your home. Try a new recipe, try a new something from a friend once a week. It shouldn't be hard. And I think that one little change will increase your awareness of what you like, what you're passionate about, what your family likes, what you like to cook, because not everybody likes to cook or what you like to eat. It will create, it will enliven those senses. You might read the name of a recipe that you think that sounds great. You might try a new kitchen gadget or tool in order to make it. You so so you will be learning different skills and you'll be sort of invigorating different passions if you try one new recipe a week. I, li- I like that. I like that. Well, I'm, and I'm going to ask you a question though about that. So, okay. what if I absolutely am fearful of that concept? Okay. So start small. Still say, I'm going to try one new recipe. Maybe it's taking your favorite recipe and swapping an ingredient in it. Okay. Or maybe it's a new smoothie. You can do a smoothie, <laughs> right? No, that's yeah. that's yeah, yeah. a recipe. Right. I'm, and I'm not saying a big dinner recipe or like a fancy right. dessert. I'm literally saying just try something new that's not in your repertoire. Ooh, I like that. And it's interesting. Okay, so you know, I'm a, I'm a singer and I sing, yes. I sing opera, but I also sing jazz. And I, I've noticed for me, my voice has gotten stronger and better when I diversify. Oh, interesting. That yeah. makes total sense. Yeah. Because if I'm singing the same arias or the same opera over and over and over, sure, it's, it's great. My body's recognizing it. It's good. But if oh. I throw in something different, something new, I'm... Uh, it, it requires different muscle adjustment. Muscle memory is switching up a bit. And also, yeah, I'm engaging different senses. So I'm, yes. the things I'm hearing, the things I'm even, you know, I feel it texturally because I, I do feel the vibrations within my, my body. So it is, it is a physical experience too. I guess we can create some sort of an analogy or a comparison there, but I, it is, it is important to diversify, right? To switch things up just a, just a little. That's amazing. And you're not always 100% successful when you try that new right. thing. Yeah. Um, but how interesting to be able to feel those different muscles or feel that different emotion. Yeah, no, it's true. And, and I'm, no, and I'm, I'm glad you're kind of reminding us to not take, I mean, not take food so seriously, maybe, <laughs> or yeah. the, or this action of, diversifying, trying something new and it's okay. And this is another thing. I think people are afraid of, of recipes because they don't want to mess up. Right. Or they're afraid to, and, and I'm saying this to you, Tara, because I mean, yes, this is your life for you. You can, you can look at a recipe and go, oh yeah, I could probably divide that into, you know, one fourth. Yes, no, it, no. It's naturally right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then for, for some people, it's like, First of all, they're fearful of measurements or they're, or they're fearful of ingredients. They're fear. No, really, it sounds so silly. Or maybe it's just overwhelming. So you bringing up this idea of, you know, sure, some things won't go right because you mess up a recipe, <laughs> but it's okay. 
it's like it's a learn there's a learning curve with all things and yeah so i guess how do we overcome that learning curve um i think it's different for everyone i think it's a choice it's not just that if you do something, it means you're going to be good at it or it's going to work out, but it's a, it's an intentional choice too. And that's with anything, right? You, oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, be, it's true. yeah. You have to have an intention behind saying, I'm going to try a new song this week and it might not be comfortable and I might not be super successful. <laughs> it's the same with food, right? It's because you make that choice doesn't mean you're going to be perfect or not. It just means that you made the choice to try something new. And guess what? Your family didn't like it, but next week you can make the choice to try something new and they might like it. <laughs> there might be some te tears at the table. <laughs> no. Yes. But how empowering to know that you are evolving and exploring and it, you know, exploring those new senses. And I don't know, you might find thank a new you. passion. No, thank you. No. And I'm, I would say that that's actually a beautiful way to conclude because that is what it's about. It's a discovery exploration. Yeah. Um, and it is a very personal, personal path we take. I have loved our conversation and it saddens me. So we must go. <laughs> But I've learned a lot and I hope the listeners too are, are going to be able to take, actually, I think there are a lot of beautiful messages uh, pertaining to food, but also just like, you know, individual, our individual journey. Sure. Because it's all, yeah. it's applicable. It's all applicable. But you, yeah, you have so much to share. And from the beginning of this conversation, you have already, you know, opened up this idea that, you know, we, we can learn from each other. And I'm, I have learned a lot from you and I hope, and I hope that this has been a valuable experience for you too. I loved it. Yeah. I think you're just intuitive questions and, and conversation. It's been so fun and, and a great direction to take this. Thank you. Thank you. But it all makes sense. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I look forward. So people can find you teaspoon.com teaspoon.com And then on social media, it's at teaspoon. That's my brand and website so much for free. And then my cookbook, is available anywhere online and it's called live life deliciously. Oh, let's do that. Yeah. Right? <laughs> let's do that. Okay, Tara, I look forward to hopefully meeting up with you oh, in the near future. So I love it. I love it. All right. Well, I, I love you. Thank you. <laughs> this, has been, this has been incredible. So, all right, we'll catch up again soon. Thanks again for your time. Thank you. All right. <laughs>